Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Welcome to another week here from the great state where spring has sprung. Hopefully everybody's enjoying the beautiful weather this week. Fortunately, Robert Craig doesn't get to enjoy it because he's in D.C. where I'm sure the weather is just as wonderful. Uh, Robert, it's great to have you with us. I don't know if you'd like the weather. I do. It's going to be 90 today. That see, it's sound a, good. It's it's going to break, a, you know, at least a 50-year record. Well, Robert, we've been uh, pushing records here, too. It's been uh, just like 80 degrees yesterday, uh, supposed to be similar today. So it's it's gorgeous. But again, folks, you don't come here for weather forecasts. You come here to talk, listen about politics. We've got a number of things we're going to talk about, both uh, some looking back still on the Supreme Court election, which will include uh, later in the show, we're going to be joined by Matt O'Neill, who is an election attorney here in Wisconsin and uh, helped the Protosewitz campaign around uh, an effort to get a, one of the sleazy ads that we talked about uh, pulled from from being uh, aired. We'll talk with Matt about that and other things related to just the whole campaign and the ads and just, is this the best way to go about electing a Supreme Court justice with these kinds of, uh, with this kind of democracy? But we look forward to talking to Matt later. We have some additional things uh, we want to look back on. Robert, in particular, uh, we're going to talk about some of Ron Johnson's theories about what the GOP should be doing uh, in order to improve their performance in the Supreme Court race. Uh, we'll also, before I get your comments on that, Robert, we are going to talk also about some things that are happening here in the state legislature. Uh, they are busy being angry and being mad at people and trying to find punitive ways to punish folks. Uh, and so we're going to talk about some of the activities in the state legislature this week. Robert, let's start, though. I want to we'll be joined later in the show to dive deeper on some of the ads. But I wanted to get your comments on there's been a lot of sort of soul searching, I guess you could say, or trying to look at some analysis as to what happened in the Supreme Court race, particularly on the Republican side as to how they would perform so poorly, um, rather than looking at things like, you know, their issue profiles and their just got awful uh <laughs> yeah candidates uh, ron johnson rightfully uh points out i would suggest and wanted to get your thoughts because it'll frame up what we talk about more that they need to spend less on television ads and then actually invest in a ground game reaching out to people talking to people um which of course implies that that was happening on our side. and We certainly were knee deep in it. Robert, your thoughts on Ron Johnson's analysis and any other things related to this uh, sort of final debriefing of the Supreme Court? Uh, a lot of our listeners, Matt, may have heard the adage that based on random randomness, if you put some young chimpanzees on, on typewriters, they would eventually produce Shakespeare randomly. So Ron Johnson is going to be right now and then we have been preaching to the choir that we're not doing enough discussing conversations with voters and we've been trying to uh, really inspire our members and activists connected to us to get off the sidelines there's really a covid stupor going on 
and we had uh, some success in the U.S. Supreme Court race and in the U.S. Senate race and big midterm elections previously, we'd like to see a lot more. The volunteers we've got, we've had are great, but we need a much higher percentage of people doing it because this is not a spectator sport. And the only way to cut through all of these ads is to actually have deeper conversation with people. It's the only way to defang the cultural wedges, the emotional issues that the right uses so well to get people to vote against their own interests. And so here's the problem. There's certainly been periods of time when the Republicans have done much better on what we call field. They used to do really powerful phone banks with lots of volunteers that were exceedingly effective. So here's what we need to wear. We need to up our game. Ron is probably, if Ron gets it, more of their smart people get it. And so we need to expect in 2024, they're going to do a lot more conversations with voters where they're trying to move people their direction. And so we need a whole lot more people to volunteer in 2024 because Wisconsin will determine uh, whether we hold on to democracy because we cannot lose to a Trump or DeSantis or democracy is uh, is really going to be on the road. Yeah. And look, let me just say, I I appreciate Ron Johnson's appreciation for field. It definitely does matter. Field ain't making up a 10 point margin. It does not explain uh, their conundrum. Uh, they might want to look in the mirror. It starts with their candidate. He was extraordinarily unappealing and created a monster gender gap that was connected to the defining issue of the election. And, you know, I think everybody knows you know, the right to an abortion was critical. And you look at what happened and uh, it's getting a lot of attention this week on college campuses and with young voters and just the record turnout. You don't get 600,000 more voters than the previous Supreme Court election, which was a not a sleepy election, was also a higher turnout than a normal previous Supreme Court election. It's been a ramping up. You don't get that um, without having a highly charged motivated electorate that to some extent is beyond just a field program so the the republicans got a lot to look at uh, on this but he's absolutely right field does make a difference and there's been a lot of efforts by as you mentioned robert groups like us and a bunch of other groups right there's a whole I call a network, right, of of organizations that are trying to invest in this kind of work and approach to the work and understanding that conversations matter. And we encourage you to support groups like us and other groups and to get involved and be a part of that movement because we think it is uh, uh, making a difference. Robert, your thoughts on student vote? Uh, it was central the lines in Eau Claire, I mean, I think everybody's seen the videos now of just the tremendously long lines The the that they had over 900 voters out of one of these wards in Eau Claire with, where the students were, which was was dwarf the neighborhood turnout. And normally they don't have much. What's your thoughts about that? And then within this perspective and context, Scott Walker, Scott Walker hangs over this whole election. We didn't. You know, a lot of what's being pushed back against is both the agenda of Scott Walker, but also the people and the policies that he's enabled. Right. He's been a part of enabling this whole um, this whole sort of thing that led to kind of these QAnon folks being in charge and everything. But Robert, his analysis is just the worst, by the way. 
this idea that somehow the problem is that we're indoctrinating students and against uh, it just he sounds nuts he sounds conspiratorial he sounds like an old guy who's out of touch who's definitely got the wrong job and he sounds like a guy who really failed miserably at what he's supposed to be doing which is energizing and mobilizing conservative youth and it sounds like he might be doing exactly the opposite robert yeah i don't know if his job is really energizing uh youth in a conservative direction. I've heard of this young America thing. I'm sure he gets a handsome salary from the billionaires. That's what he's being paid to, Robert. Does. <laughs> uh, and if it if it's doing anything, it's trying to indoctrinate people uh, towards a right-wing agenda, just the way Scott Walker was as a young person. Look, the, the poor man is very unhappy. It's, he makes him miserable. He's not a governor or a U.S. senator or president. And so he's just trying to desperately hold on to get himself back in. Since he's not running for U.S. Senate, my guess is he's hoping that he can be a cabinet secretary in a Republican administration and then build up from there. I don't know what he wants to be secretary of. I don't think he cares as long as he's secretary of something. Any and any thoughts, Robert, on the role of the student vote in which is I think our listeners get this, but in April elections, getting students out for local elections is a challenge. Uh, it almost never happens. That was something that this race, you know, was was definitely different. And again, I think it's because, you know, we had issues that really mattered. Rights have been taken away. Uh, and who are those uh, the removal of those rights most? going to directly impact young folks and they showed up for each other it's pretty impressive well they the the the, the millennials and now gen z is the most progressive generations in at least half a century and there's a clarity among them they understood climate change i mean it's happening disasters are happening now they understand they only get worse and abortion cut through with everyone. There's never been a better Supreme Court issue because it showed with a bright light, this is what right-wing judges are doing to us, and they're there undemocratically. And so, and and boy, did, Justice, did former Justice Kelly perfectly fit the bill. There's a right-wing justice. You, would, you could, if you were casting for a, a, some kind of Netflix series or Amazon Prime series or Hulu, I don't want to begin to... Promote any one of them, um, per se. Uh, then there you go. He'd be he could be a character actor of the the stuffy right wing judge who's full of ideology and just is going to and is going to be the strict father to quote George Lakoff and and and, and impose the right on us and the, the in two ways both what he thinks is right and the far right uh, and so. But for young people, this is even clearer. So that the massive turnout's been building for a while. We need to keep working out. There's a lot of people engaging students, a lot of students who are going to become great organizers who are doing it on campus. Uh, so this is not all, I know the outside groups that uh, on our side that have money want to take all the credit. I'm sorry, a lot of the students are self-organizing as well and get it on their own. Uh, but just think about how the abortion issue cut through, not only for young people, but for everyone, and how flat the millions they spent on crime was yeah. that somehow if Janet Protasiewicz is elected, that they're going to be rapists and murderers and child molesters 
hacking the street and endangering your family. Apparently, uh, the masses were not uh, driven to turn out on, on the right and center by that argument. Look, we described it before, well before the election as uh, just people lighting their money on fire on TV and digital. Uh, and that appeared to be the case because I would say 80 percent of what the ads were on was just appeared not to really resonate. Uh, and fortunately, right, that Janet ran and closed very strong with sharp pointed ads on the defining issue. And I, I think it made a huge difference. Folks, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Um, we are spent the first section debriefing a little bit more on the Supreme Court race. And Robert, I want to transition because lessons just they're they're hard learned apparently and so we part of what we talked about in the first hour is some debriefing from republicans as to what the problem is and you know everything from we need more field to we need to suppress voters better thank you michael gallagher uh two it's about the issues folks and abortion it was the issue and the right to it remains the issue their party remains wildly out of step with America. And that has did not change last Friday. In fact, they stepped deeper into it with one of their judges again, one of their politicians in robes, who, by the way, this Kazmierich judge clown, please. Come on, Kazmierich, this clown has been partisan and has had axe grind on all kinds of decisions. But Robert, essentially right away last week, we have a decision that um, is being, oh, good Lord, they've got the pharmaceutical industry up uh, against it. <laughs> That's all you need to know how bad it was, this idea that we are going to ban uh, a drug that's been available, a pharmaceutical that's been available for decades for women. Robert, tell us more about Judge Kazmierich and the, quite frankly, huge implications of the Mifeprestone uh, ruling that came down last week. Well, Matt, don't, you know, we don't, we certainly don't want to purvey cynicism. So I don't think we want to say that necessarily, or do we? Maybe we do that the group that filed the suit chartered itself in Amarillo, Texas, so they could guarantee getting Judge Kazmierich, because if any reason other they're concerned about the FDA process for approval of drugs and that Judge Kazmierich has long been concerned about the approval process for drugs at the, at the Food and Drug Administration, oh, I guess they haven't. Now that I think about it, it's right to be cynical this time. That to you, all you pundits who want to be bright about everything, uh, they will make, this is the point we've been making, they will distort the law, make it up without precedent to achieve their agenda. They are not judges and, and try to impose that on the whole country. It all shows the right wing agenda here is to make this national, to nationalize a ban on all abortion because they want to tell everyone else, tell women and everyone else what is right and wrong. And it's their bizarre Old Testament view of what's right and wrong. It's not even a thankly Old Testament either. That's giving it too much credit. So let me just say this. Um, they have a problem. 
look, all political parties are a collection of ideological positions that don't necessarily naturally fit together. If you were being a philosopher and lining them up, it, uh, so there, there's tensions in it. There is a tension between the way the right wing mobilizes people and who it actually benefits the wealthiest and the largest corporations in this country. And we have now found a fissure between one of their main supporters, Big Pharma, who this harms, and they're up in arms about this, the people who that they actually are out there for, and the way they mobilize evangelical and other conservative voters in elections. And so this is one of the things that really damages political parties. They try to keep this under the surface and prevent these sort of blowups, but they can't control their right flank that they need to win elections. They can't just make them go away. They need abortion for their base, but now it's a threat to their funding base and who they actually represent as the conservative party of plutocracy. Yeah, look, this is um, this issue's not going away, nor should it. It is um, defining and it's revealing, as, as we have talked about, part of the rot around the the judicial system. And we're going to talk more about that later with Matt O'Neill again, how that plays out in our own Supreme Court elections later in the show. Hey, Robert, is there any more you want to say on this or? The appellate court has only delayed things. We don't know what the Trump dominated U.S. Supreme Court will do. So this is an actual threat to women's rights. You know, I expressed um, some glee about the the division with the, the clarity even on their side now about the tension and contradiction in the conservative coalition between their real supporters who fund them and that they serve and the, the way they actually win elections. But this is a real threat, as is a real threat to democracy. And I don't trust this U.S. Supreme Court to you. They We have a dueling Washington state ruling that means the court almost would they'd probably take it up anyway, but they almost have to take it up. And Lord knows they have been part of the Federalist Society and the right wing conspiracy is to go after what they call the administrative state. They want to remove the authority of administrative agencies, which has been grabbed by Congress because Congress has neither the expertise or the political capacity to work out things at this detail, like approving every drug. And can you imagine if every drug had to be approved by Congress with a filibuster? So it's unworkable, but that is their agenda because they don't want any government. They want to uh, uh, drown it in a bathtub. Yeah, I think this is a massive overstep. I think um, there is a massive rethinking going on within their party about this because of this, you know, this situation they're in, they have a political imperative to figure it out. I don't know what their solution is going to be. We're going to continue to track it and watch it here. Uh, Cause this, this stuff's going to all, all play out uh, right in front of us as we head into 2024. Um, Robert want to want to talk about, What's been going on in the state legislature? Um, we actually need to spend a bit of time on this because they, again, it's amazing, right? You would think after the last election, there would be, you know, some sort of sense that, whoa, like we're a bit out of step. Some of our core values, this court's clearly going to be moving in a different direction. We might want to think about changing our approach. No. Uh, the Republicans in the state legislature at 
two big things I want us to talk about, Robert, and get your thoughts on. One is this bill to arm staff in schools as a solution to what, what's been going on throughout our country. And then two, I want us to have a deep conversation. And we started to talk about this, I believe. Uh, the Republicans are moving back in a direction really aggressively of trying to set up a, an elaborate bureaucracy to essentially kick people off from receiving benefits. Um, and I want to start there because this is um, this is a, in my mind, a complicated conversation. The, the second one is frustrating and makes me angry. Uh, this this effort by Republicans to try and put barriers to getting Badger Care, unemployment insurance, which is appalling, uh, and all different kinds of services as a way to follow up on the referendums, which were horrendously worded referendums on a bunch of things, but mainly around this idea that people should have to work, you know, to get their benefits as if people aren't trying to get jobs. Robert, please educate our listeners a little bit more about some of the specifics of these bills, but then, you know, the specifics are, you know, there are details, but then there's the narrative and the broader agenda that they're trying to build on here um your thoughts yeah and sometimes we can get too caught up matt in the uh details and uh and get lost in the weeds we'll get we'll give a few but this is all ultimately they'd like to eliminate these programs they'd like there not to be badger care they'd like there not to be unemployment insurance whatsoever because everything is the person who needs a social safety net's fault. And a lot of their supporters go through this where they they they, they have trouble get landing, they lose the one good job they have, there's a crisis, a daddy crisis, and they, they blame themselves, commit suicide because right-wing ideology tells them it's their fault, not the system's fault. When we know, we talked about this in the last Battleground Wisconsin, Center on Wisconsin Strategy, COWS, says 40% of jobs in the Milwaukee metro area are, are not good jobs, do not pay benefits and a, and a wage you can support yourself on. These folks, and they want to buy into what business leaders think, which is the workforce shortage is caused because people are refusing to work. Yet there are people who are not working because work doesn't pay and work has become abusive because of corporate practices to simply uh, make it harder and harder, uh, short staff more and more and more. It's why teachers, nurses, many others are leaving professions. But we're still a country that treasures work. And if people can work and can have access to a good job that they can get to mass transit, then they they absolutely will work. But it, it has to be a decent job with livable living conditions. Our Amazon tries to churn people because they're afraid they'll form a union if they stay too long. They don't want people to even be physically capable of working more than two or three years in a row at Amazon. Uh, that is the business model of Jeff Bezos. And I, the yachts are, I can't even, I can't even, my words can explain how big the yachts are. So this is, it's evil, we'll go through the tails map, but this, the goal here is not to have these things and the first step is simply to make them impossible to use and to keep blaming 
the victims. You know, corporate Wisconsin can get plenty of workers if it will pay a living wage and have livable working conditions. Well, let's, let, that's where I want to go with this. If 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 people get a chance and we always put links to articles uh, with the with the Web page, please go back and read some of the comments from some from the Republicans. Um, it, this happens all the time. This is all about them trying to they sound like worker or like bosses complaining that the workers won't come work for them at the wages they want to pay. And it sounds to me like a bunch of free marketeers and capitalists trying to actually rig us rig a market. The market would demand that they should pay more money to attract the workers they need. They want to keep suppressed wages. And this is also good political fodder, right? Because the average person rightfully thinks, of course, right? If you can work and you should go work. And that's what almost everybody does. They are setting up straw people uh, here that there's like tons of people out here taking advantage of the system. When the reality is they will set up a bureaucracy that will be expensive, will cost a lot of money to exclude people. And by setting up the barriers, they will end up far more excluding people who actually need the benefits and qualify for them, but get tripped up in their hurdles. Think of the processes you all went through when you tried to get unemployment or you tried to deal with the state system. And it wasn't just that the lines were long. It was that you actually went through the process and that process often kicked you out multiple times because that's what it was intended to do. They want to make that harder. And the only purpose here is to politically demagogue these fo uh, against folks with their base and to, quite frankly, you know, be on the benefit of their corporate benefactors and their business types. Uh, folks, we got to take a break, though. We are way past. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Before we left, we were talking about the Republicans' effort to basically try to beat up on people that are trying to make ends meet. A lot of almost all of these folks are working people, or they're people that, like, quite frankly, are on the severe margins, uh, you know, and have real challenges with access to work and other things. And they're using them to essentially set up a system that just kicks people out. Um, Robert, any further thoughts on particularly also some of these comments of these Republicans? And, and one other thing, the other thing that they're doing here, Robert, that's pernicious is they're conflating unemployment insurance with other benefits. Unemployment insurance is not a taxpayer funded program, right? That's a detail that gets like can lose us in this broader agenda of theirs that I want to stay focused on. But they're just total that's what tells me they're full of shit and they've talked to nobody who actually in, administers these plans um about like at the state agencies so it's just this is all political they crap want, they don't it was want to just talk crap. to them they don't believe in these programs they want to go on 19th century or all charles dickens on us and so i mean for example um i will quote Represent Amy Bensfield from Republican Sheboygan. Here's the Dickensian comment that she made. And this is in the bill that they're going to get ban guaranteed income. Madison and Wausau run pilots on a guaranteed income, which actually does improve 
uh, people's lives dramatically, reduce poverty, and actually puts me in a position to have the resources to work. It's the opposite. But uh, she says we should not be asking the taxpayers to fund another handout on top of the, uh, the already taxpayer-funded benefits. We especially want to make sure that our labor force is getting the workers uh, that they need and employers don't have to keep to beg on top of these programs. Oh. Oh, the poor employers are begging when in Milwaukee, 40 percent of the jobs are not good jobs. And here's another gem. I truly believe that the taxpayer is paying for health care that people could afford or get as an employee, said Donna Ro Roser, Republican Marshfield. I am for helping people that need help. But unfortunately, our safety net has become a hammock over just, the years. My now, God. That's a that, that's an old talking both, point. The old hammock. Thank you. I want to point out that these are women. And while I agree that we need a lot more gender equality and representation in, 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 and uh, in government, and it would probably make us less warlike at the national level, uh, there are some pretty damn right wing women. So, you, so gender is 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 critical, but it is not sufficient reason to believe that you're not a heartless you know, villain from a Dickens novel. Look, we just, people, you, we have to remember, because a lot of you were on, tried to access benefits and hopefully saw that the system is set up to exclude people. It is designed that way. It wasn't just long lines that were the problem. And, 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 and this is just more of that. And all it does yeah, is what? mostly keep people who need need the benefits from getting them and it costs a lot of money and it creates a completely unnecessary bureaucracy and by the way the quotes you read from like rosar and binsfield just showed they they don't even know what's going they clearly have no concept of even how these programs function you know the implications of them and as i mentioned robert these clowns haven't even talked to anyone about how you would implement this is all just about browbeating workers Heavy accountability for working people. Well, Robert continued virtually no discussion or accountability for corporate welfare. We've got many corporations who don't even pay taxes in this state. And we've talked endlessly about WEDEC and the lack of accountability that has been there forever. Foxconn is become a just a it's now synonymous for dysfunction, failure. Uh, mega corporate giveaway. Um, Robert, this is just classic sort of get people to focus on these folks and ignore the real enemies, the real people who are taking advantage and fleecing us. And there's virtually no structures or bureaucracy set up to track that. In fact, we privatized all that. We, we didn't even think it was the worthy of the state to have that in the Commerce Department. Robert? Yeah, and let me let me run through some of the uh, requirements. Um, AB one forty eight, Assembly Bill one forty eight, is on Medicaid. That would just make it much harder to apply. Uh, it would ban anything like automatic registration, any kind of um, any kind anything that made the forms much easier by filling out information we already have on individuals. I'm sure ban the governor's proposal to allow you to check a box on your tax form and get an, get, an, get an assessment of whether you're bachelor eligible. 
they'll just make it much, much harder. And we already know 300,000 people are going to lose their coverage because we are unwinding the pandemic assistance to badger care. So just throw people off. Robert, that's really important. That's really important what you just said. They essentially ban things and using systems that we have that could actually help make sure we have people adequately, properly enrolled, ensure that people who need it make sure that they're not discontinued. And they deliberately make sure that that doesn't happen. And they set up bad structures that are guaranteed hurdles is the way to think of it, that are guaranteed to trip people up and knock people out. The goal is to lower the rolls. I'm jumping to the unemployment insurance. Assembly Bill 150, which uh, renames unemployment insurance reemployment assistance, um, it gives everyone a list. The DWDSC give you a list of jobs you must apply for. So they used to call uh, really bad employment in the 19th century wage slavery. So you must work for these people. And uh, also drug test everyone and throw them off all assistance if they test positive. Can we drug test the uh, majority caucus of the state legislature, or all the folks that apply for corporate subsidies and job creation subsidies that they then don't uh, do not do anything for, don't create jobs for? How about the telecom companies that take all the broadband money and then don't build out broadband where people don't have broadband because the, the hard to reach rural areas are less profitable? We don't do any of that just to talk about the hypocrisy. Um, there's another one where they have to audit Assembly Bill 147, at least half of all job searches to look for examples of where you didn't actually follow through on your job searches. It makes it, 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 it you, you lose your benefits if you decline a job interview for any reason or no show at a job interview. That's another bill. And let me give you an example. They, and a lot of these, the center of the Republican Party in the state has been, you know, the, the right-wing suburbs of Milwaukee, though that's being a change. There is no metropolitan transit system like other cities. There is no way. So I was just wondering to myself, because a lot of the jobs are way out in the suburbs where people can't get to them, and the unemployment is places like the north side of Milwaukee, the black community, and, and the brown community, the, the Latinx community on the south side, and other parts of Milwaukee. And when plenty of white people are unemployed as well. Um, I, when we were out that terrible Joint Finance Committee hearing, Matt, that was uh, a terrible location that was not good for, for a hearing, the Waukesha Exposition Center, I noticed there are tons and tons of uh, industrial parks there, where most of the jobs way out there. And I wondered to myself, Matt, to come from a, I chose a location in Milwaukee, how to get to that area, how long would it take me? It's a 25 minute round trip car ride if you have a car. It's a seven hour walk each way, so that won't work. So what about mass transit? Any guesses, uh, Matt, to that area where there are just clearly tons of, of jobs, right? Any guesses? Well, the first question uh, is, does mass transit even get you there and how far? Because you're probably okay. walking a significant chunk you're of it. You're shrewd. According to Google Maps, you can't get there on mass transit. You, you can't walk. get there from here. So that would be my point about these wonderful lists and these jobs that are being offered up because Look. we deliberately set it up also with the job, the subsidies to build these things where the jobs a mismatch between where the jobs are and where the people are, deliberately so. Well, and I could, I'm not going to go through all the other requirements, but it goes along like that. 
as far as uh, as far and you know reducing the number of unemployment weeks to 14 weeks rather than 26 currently unless there's nine percent unemployment more that goes up to the current level robert the messing um, with the unemployment tells you everything you need to know about why what's behind this this is nothing to do with any of this it's all about cheap labor forcing people trying to get more workers into the market for their low wage weaselly friends who fund their campaigns and who they ideologically believe in and they, they don't right. truly they don't believe in capitalism capitalism they, have a right to your they work matt they think they have a right to your work correct in other words we you workforce not workers not worker retention it is workforce it's a thing you are part of workforce workforce must work for us on our terms it's I a mean, perverse you talk vision about of the, capitalism the threat to democracy is beyond the level of of the politics where it's serious it's been there in the economy all along creating a totalitarian society where they control you because you'll starve without their terrible abusive job folks Corporate and large power corrupts. It's very challenging. It's why we organize. It's why you need to join Citizen Action. Please check the link, become a member of Citizen Action, donate, uh, join one of our co-ops or just donate, donate to us. We'll have links to both. Folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Right after this break, we're going to be joined by Matt O'Neill, the attorney for the Janet Protosewitz campaign. And we're going to talk about the ads, in particular, the ad that they got removed and pulled down, but also just the broader sleazy environment that this uh, Supreme Court race saw with uh, its ad campaigns. We'll see you right after this break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really excited to have our next guest that is matthew o'neill matt is an attorney with fox o'neill and shannon and of great importance to us matt was also the attorney for the janet protosewitz campaign that worked very hard to try to get those terrible ads those ads around uh the, the story around the rapists that we talked about pulled and so we asked Matt to come on and talk about that in the broader context of the ads that we have been talking about. Mr. O'Neill, it's great to have you join us. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So again, Matt, tell us about, again, update our listeners, right, You about what the campaign attempted to do and why. Right. So throughout this <clears throat> disgusting campaign, and that's the only way I can describe all of the ads that were going up, particularly the quote-unquote independent ads. Um, I, we would take a look at them, and each one was another level of depravity, but some would have just a nugget enough of fact in them that you knew the stations weren't going to take them down. And then this one came through, um, and we immediately took a hard look at the actual full sentencing transcript in the whole case. And the premise of the ad was that Janet went soft on a rapist and ignored the victim's pleas. And it turns out the opposite was true. She, the, the victim wanted, was really a, um, a very compassionate person and all she was asking for was restorative justice. And, and what Judge Protosewitz did is said, you know, I, I take that into account, but she sentenced him to five years. Uh, so she didn't not, not just didn't ignore the victim, but did more than the victim was asking. 
And the, the two ads that came out both distorted what the victim was asking for, said false things about the victim, and then said false things about the sentence. And so on this one, we said, fine, let's go full bore on them. And what you can do in these things, um, you write the letters to the stations, you point out what's defamatory in the ad, um, and usually they don't care about that because they're making money from it. But what they don't have to do is repeat something knowingly false, and what they don't have to do is air ads that are brought by non-candidates. So candidates have a right to, to broadcast their ads. These independent groups, supposedly independent groups, don't. And so the stations face an increased level of potential liability if they continue to run knowingly false ads and spread these lies. And uh, on this one, surprising, frankly, it's surprising anybody backs off, but the WMC folks pulled their ads uh, the next day and then we pointed this out to all the stations and the stations then pulled both the WMC and the FCA ads on the same issue. And Matt. Oh, can I? Oh, oh you go, I Robert. No, you question? go, Robert. Is this, yeah, can you talk a little bit more about how they could be liable? Is this along the lines of the, of the, uh, the, the voting machine um, lawsuit against Fox News that's getting so much national attention? Or would it be something other than libel law? We have to show some kind of malice, right? Yeah, it is. It is libel law and you have to meet uh, a threshold of malice. And all that means is they're running things that they know to be false or they recklessly disregard whether it's false or not. And when they get the ads, um, they also get a script. I saw the sheets that both of these um, groups sent along with their ads and they were misleading in and of themselves. And so it took us to point out to them what was false and give them uh, the whole sentencing transcript and describe for them. So once they have that information and they know that what that ad is, is false and they're told that it's false and they're given the evidence that shows that it's false. If they continue to run it, um, they can be held liable. The stations can under liable law and have to pay damages for the harm to, in this case, Judge Protoseowitz's reputation. How does that apply to digital ads? I know social media companies have some sort of exemption, but I one of the ads run this cycle was about uh, forced sex change operations without parents' uh, consent at schools, which was completely made up, and then tying it to Protoseowitz, where there was no link to her at all. That was just a digital ad. Is there anyone that could be sued for libel on that one or, sure. or not? Publication is publication, whether it's a TV ad, whether it's a digital ad. Anytime that you as a publisher, whatever, whether you control a website, whether you control airwaves, put something out for the public to see, to read, or to hear, you can be responsible if you do so, and it's knowingly false and defamatory. So this is highly unusual, though, that they pull ads or that they feel this kind of pressure is my guess, and that's why there's probably very little filter as to what gets run. Am I, is, is this right, Matt? You are correct. Uh, there used to be some level of discretion and decorum, but that was 20 years ago. Um, now it seems people will say anything and be as unhooked and unmoored as they want to be, as long as they can get one nugget of fact that they can say that's enough and the rest is opinion and exaggeration. So they, in my opinion, and what I've seen the last 20 years is the stations and media have become complicit in it and they don't they don't give a hard look at any of this stuff. And the initial set of responses we got to our letter on this ad was, no, it's good enough. No, they've given us a fact sheet. No, we're not going to pull it. They've given us a fact sheet. Yeah. That's um, that's classic from uh, from places that ostensibly do news gathering. Anyways, but look, Matt, one of the reasons why I absolutely had to have you on was I was watching 
the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel editorial board go after Janet in an interview for for the ads. While I'm watching this video, three pop-up ads are running alongside just devastating. Two were um, against Janet. One was pro-Janet. They were they were all nasty. And while this guy's lecturing her about these nasty ads, she's trying to say, look, I'm at least trying to run this through my campaign as much as possible. I'm raising money through my campaign. I'm trying to do it as best I can. And these, as these jokers are going after her, the hypocrisy when I think these ads are probably keeping the paper afloat. And I think a lot of these media look a blind eye because they are in financial hardship. And I think these elections and this obscene amount of money is helping keeping them going. And I think we have a real conflict. Democracy has a real conflict of interest here. Your thoughts? Uh, I, I agree 100% that what I think the Journal Sentinel and what other folks have done is sort of separate their ad folks from their editorial folks. And so the people on the ad side say, well, how do we make money? And well, here's these people willing to pay us all this money just to run these things they hand us. And we don't have to go go get them. They just show up and offer us money. It's great. And the editorial people, I believe in good faith, are trying to do their jobs, probably knowing that their own employer is also profiting from this. Um, And I I don't blame them. I don't blame the editorial folks. And I don't think they're acting in bad faith. But it is certainly the, the institutions themselves are taking money on one side and then crying about it on the other. It is there's a level of hypocrisy on the corporate level for sure. Well, especially when Janet was trying to point out, I'm trying to raise and a lot of my spending disproportionately is in fact, it was their strategy to run it through the campaign, right? They get better buys rates, all of that. They get to control the message. And a lot of the things that a lot of people think are important, right? She takes responsibility for her ads. Whereas the other side, it was a deliberate strategy to like have virtually no campaign through the candidate and run it all through a few wealthy, rich people and a few shell organizations. And of course, the WMC does their usual trash show when and there needs to, by the way, that's a whole nother conversation that this is the WMC that ran this. This isn't some shadowy, dark group. This is one of the largest lobbying entities in the state. Anyways, Matt, before I go, I do want to get your thoughts as to as someone who, and for our listeners who don't know, Matt has been around for a long time, is probably the one of the top experts on state campaign finance law, how it interacts, helps us when we have legal questions around it. Matt, what are your thoughts on what's the best way to go forward and create, particularly in Supreme Court races, but more broadly, um, help address this? Man, it's difficult because where, where we are now the law that developed since Buckley versus Vallejo back in 1976 has led us to this notion that um, if an ad <clears throat> doesn't include a statement like vote for or vote against and a couple other things, it's an issue ad. And therefore, it's not subject to the same kind of restrictions uh, and same kind of monetary constraints that, that regular campaign ads. But they're just campaign ads. And everybody recognizes them as such. But it leads to this unmoored set of stuff that we've seen. How can we turn it around? I'm not sure. I I actually continue to believe electing our court is the best alternative we have at the Supreme Court level because any kind of appointment 
process involving legislative approval would probably lead to unfilled seats the way we are as a state right now. Um, but the reason I'm hopeful just in the long term is because I believe we now actually have a fair court that will give what I consider to be proper consideration to the legal challenges, to the crazy um, system we have, the gerrymandered system we have in Wisconsin, which will be real relief, and will give real decisions that will bring us back to an equilibrium that hopefully can put the next race on an issues format rather than a mudslinging format. It was a huge race. It really was. Yeah. This that, that 11 point victory speaks volumes about where our state really is versus where you'd think looking at the super majority out there now that doesn't represent even a majority of the state. Look, I agree with you on your analysis about what it will mean to have this court, the, the new majority. Uh, there is no doubt about it. And I will say this, we have talked about this. We give Janet credit. We think given the current system and the way it plays out, um, she did the right thing. We need our candidates to be full throated on their values because it is those values that are deeply interconnected to our rights and people get it. They get what the court is now and they want to know who and where you stand and you need to be clear about that. And, and I believe those are the winning, that's the winning path yeah. and we, do, and getting away from the sideshow that we have been in for decades about who's the toughest cop in town who will throw the person away i mean it got to the point where i assume janet will look back and go god i hope i never ever have to run an ad where i say that uh dan kelly's unqualified because he was a defense attorney and he represented bad people yeah. no, that's janet, not janet yeah that's the model man janet broke the model and her yeah. 11 point win is gonna i think i hope so um, is gonna make candidates from both sides run an actual race that informs voters about what judges believe in and that is a positive thing look janet turned out people because she closed the last two weeks with incredibly great ads about the dominant issue the rights of people to have an abortion to control their body like that was it and the whole host of other issues that everybody knew was really at stake not the the this trumped up criminal stuff well matt we really appreciate you coming on giving us a little bit of insight on the inside of of how this goes and uh also appreciate your work just um this is important work that goes on within our movement uh, to make sure that uh, democracy continues to function. We appreciate your... Thanks for having me on. Fronts. Keep up your good work. Thank you, Matt. And with that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. As always, I want to thank our producer, Brian Woldridge. We don't do the show without Brian. Uh, that is for sure. And of course, we want to thank Matthew O'Neill uh, for joining us and giving us a little bit of insight into uh, what it's like on the legal front when you're dealing with these ads. Um, thank y'all. We'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs>